0: Hey, let me go ahead and invite you to open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17, and if you're using one of our pew Bibles, you'll find our text beginning today on page 240. Some of you, as soon as you turn there, you're going to recognize the story. It's the story of David and Goliath. And um, I want to use this text today to to encourage us. I want to use this text today to inspire us. Often our messages are more doctrinal or teaching-focused, trying to Reveals something new to us. I, I really think this message today needs to be about encouraging us, inspiring us, uh, if you will. Um, and and here's here's why I think that. I mean, sometimes when you and I are processing what God's saying to us, it feels like, and it's really interesting, the phrases that you remember that somebody's used in the past. And the phrase that came to mind to me was like this. Sometimes it's it's just like drinking from a fire hose, right? You know you you 're thirsty, you want the water, but it 's coming at you so fast it just feels like it 's totally overwhelming that there 's so much of it there 's no way to take it all in and with, and we kind of go into one mode either we we go into one direction, we kind of just get overwhelmed and we just kind of shut down on the other end. we just start lowering our expectations, saying i 'm just going to miss all of this. Uh, kind of saw this in happening in in in, in real time with a a neighbor of mine that I'm doing a Bible study with, and kind of newer to the faith, just asked him some questions, he asked if we could have a Bible study, so he and I started to meet together, and we worked through some of the parables of Jesus, and then we turned our attention to the Sermon on the Mount, and all of a sudden, he felt like he was drinking from a fire hose, right? I mean, just, you know, being the light of the world, and almsgiving, and prayer, and You know, not worrying and not going, you know, laying up treasures in heaven. And the list just kind of kept going on and on. It's like, man, there's just so much here that I need to do. And it just kind of gets to be a lot. And I I have a feeling a lot of you, like me, feel that way somewhat out of this Transform series, right? I mean, we've looked at our spiritual lives. What do I need to do right now in my life so that I can love God more fully? Well, that's enough right there, right? But then we come to the next week and it's like, I need to take care of my physical body. This is the instrument that God has given me to use to glorify him in the world. So I, you know, one of the focuses was on rest. How do we rest? And some of you think, how do I rest? You know, I got two jobs to make the ends meet. My kids have 99 things a week they got to do. And they think, there's no way that I can rest. You know, and, and, and we begin to start feeling overwhelmed. We, we look at our financial lives in terms of giving the way we're supposed to and saving the way we're supposed to and spending our dollars and using our other stuff in a way that's really pleasing to God. And, and he's like, ah, man, I, there's no way I'm getting out of debt. And, he's, and you just struggle with all. And it feels like we're drinking from a fire hose. And there's just more of it that the, that the, the challenges that face us in terms of really being transformed and the renewing of mind it's kind of like David taking on Goliath. He just feels like it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an unwinnable fight. And I want to encourage you today that this is a fight. This is a battle that you can win. And so I want to speak to us today about overcoming or defeating the deterrence to real change in our lives, to real transformation in our lives. That's what I want to speak to us about. And I want to use the story of David and Goliath for just that. And I think there, there's two primary things that I, I want to accomplish today. One is, I want you to be able to name the deterrents that you're going to ex- experience. It's not going to be an exhaustive list. It's going to be a good list. Okay? Secondly, I want you to develop some of the insights, some of the instincts, some of the resources, if you will, on how you can actually defeat these deterrents in your spiritual journey. And all of this is going to emerge from the text, that we're going to use today in 1st Samuel chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, I'm just going to read a few verses to kind of get the story going, and then I'm going to go back and read some more of that as we go. Many of you remember the story. The Philistines, who were an enemy of Israel, had come up, and they were trying to take over the valleys that were the pathway that led from the coastal plains down by the Mediterranean Sea up to the high country, which is where Israel was located. And whoever controlled the passes, the roadways through those valleys, they actually controlled the highlands. They could suffocate it or they could allow it to flourish. And the Philistines had come up to set up and to take over the valleys that led up to the high country. We pick up the story in verse 3. The Philistines were standing on one hill and the Israelites were standing on another hill with a ravine between them. So the, the valley that you could walk through and travel to the high country from the coastal plains was between them. One's up on the northern slope. One's on the southern slope. And, and, and they're, and they're kind of, if you will, lined up in battle against one another. Then a champion named Goliath from Gath, that's a Philistine city down the coastal plain by the Mediterranean, came out from the Philistine camp. It's common in those days, instead of having a full-fledged battle, that one army would pick its champion, the other army would pick theirs. They would duke it out, and whoever won, that settled the fight. And and, and the others, one was the victor, one was the loser, and if you will, to the victor went the spoils. So out comes this champion from the Philistines, his name's Goliath, and this guy is a human tank, okay? He was nine feet, nine inches tall. I've never met anybody nine feet, nine inches tall. He wore a bronze helmet and a bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. That's probably that probably weighs more than half the people in this room, right? And that's what he's wearing as a shield on his chest. There was bronze armor on his shins and a bronze sword that was slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam and the iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds. So if he threw this spear at you, it was like him throwing a missile at you. This isn't just a little arrow. This is like throwing a missile at you, right? This huge, this huge spear. In addition, he had a shield bearer who was walking in front of him. So the, the giant blocking the roadway to transformation, to victory, to change for the Israelites was Goliath. We have some of those in our own life. And as this story unfolds, you begin to see some of the deterrents that that emerged that really kind of kept the Israelites from taking on the challenges and meeting victory. And and so I want to share a couple of those. And and the first one I want to share with you is the idea of delay. One of the deterrents that you and I are going to experience in our battle, tapping into God's resources to actually be transformed, to experience fundamental change in what we think, how we act, what we feel, and who we are, one of the challenges that you and I are going to face is the challenge of delay. Now, where do I get that from? Let's, Let's look at this story. David's going to be the victor, right? You're going to go back over to chapter 16 to see David emerge into the story. One chapter before this, God has decided that Saul, who is the king of the Israelites, is really not fit to be king. He's not going to do the kingship the way that God's ordained it. God's taken his hand off of him and said, I'm not going to use him as a king anymore. I'm choosing another one. And so he sends Samuel, who's his representative, a prophet, sends him to a little town by the name of Bethlehem. And he goes there, and, and there's a guy by the name of Jesse <laughs> who is, lives there. And he's got eight sons. And God says, you know, one of Jesse's sons is going to be the next king. So, so, so Samuel goes to Jesse and says, hey, I, I want to meet your kids. And one by one they line up. The first seven, right? And a couple times Samuel's saying, when the guy walks in, he's big, he's strong, he's good looking, he looks like a leader, the kind of guy that would and, and he says, surely this is the guy. And God said, no, that's not the one I got. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Done. And, and 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 they parade by, and and God hasn't said yes to any of them. And and Samuel's a little confused. He he, he turns to to Jesse, and he says, is that it? Are you out of kids? You know, and he says, no, I got one scrawny runt. You know, he doesn't use that terminology. He says, no, the youngest one's out guarding the sheep. He said, well, we're not going to eat. We're not going to finish this until until he comes in, and David comes in. And David is, 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 and, and, and immediately God says, this is the one that I've chosen. How long did it take for David to become king? David here is anointed by the representative of God to become king, right? And really in all all rights, he should be king automatically, immediately. It was 15 years at least before David became the king of just the tribe of Judah. Fifteen. What were you doing 15 years ago? Some of us can't even remember back 15 years, right? So that's a long time ago. 15 years ago, Hope Chapel wouldn't have been meeting for services because this church isn't 15 years old. You know, it was 22 and a half years, maybe a little bit more, but at least 22 and a half years before David actually became king over all the 12 tribes of Israel. I'd call that a delay, wouldn't you? Think about Abraham, right? God tells him, I want you to move out of Haran. I want you to go to a land I'm going to show you, and I'm going to give you descendants, et cetera. And it's 25 years before Isaac is born. And it is centuries, I mean centuries, before the people ever get to take possession of the promised land. One of the biggest deterrents that you and I face is to say, you know, this is just going to take too long. You know, know, I, I... I spent years getting my relationship into this circumstance, it's going to take me a long time to get out of it. And and, and we just, it's just going to take too long. And, and I don't know if I can make that journey. And we just get impatient, we get distracted, we get demoralized in the journey. You know, it, sometimes it, it took us years to get into debt and we just don't have the desire to actually... Institute the financial discipline under God's leadership to actually get ourselves out of debt so we can do with what God has called us to do with the resources he's given us. Some of us, we've let our marriages spin down or we've got a broken relationship with a child or whatever, and, and, and it's just kind of getting worse. and worse. It's like, you know what? I don't even want to try anymore. It's just too much. And, 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 and we get overwhelmed with the delay. And when you and I are facing that, we need to recognize it. Here's another deterrent I want you to see. And that is the idea is that we get discouraged and that often that discouragement is generated by fear. The fear that generates discouragement in our lives. And and again that happens. Look look down. So here's the Goliath is coming out and he's saying, "Hey, send me out your champion, etc." And and we pick up with verse 8, but I want you to look specifically at verse 11. He said, "So Goliath now is out on the, on the plane. He said, He stood and shouted to the Israelite battle formations. Why do you come out to line up in battle formations? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose one of your men and have him come down to me. If he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we'll be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. Then the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. And look at verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistines, they lost their courage and were terrified. You know, some of us were, as we look, we look at our challenges, we think about the ways that God needs to transform us in our relationships or in the way we think or in the way that we, you know, the way we feel, the, the, the direction of our lives, the way we're using our resources, what's in important to us, what we value. We think, and, and we just think about the amount of effort that's required related to that the difficulty of change some of us just hate change we don't want to, and we get demoralized we get discouraged we we think about the discipline it's going to take to get out of debt or to save for for the future or whatever we we think about you know boy if you know if i commit to having a day of rest and just kind of really boiling down i'm you know i'm going to have to adjust my lifestyle cuz i'm not going to be making as much money etc and and we just we don't know if we want any of that and we just struggle with all of that or healing a broken relationship and how much pain that might inflict on us and how difficult it might be and we just get overwhelmed by the fear of what it might all take and we just get discouraged and we want to say, you know what? I'm not going to fight this battle. That's what Saul and the army of Israel did. They lost courage (laughs) and they were terrified. Sometimes we just face this deterrent of fear that breeds a sense of discouragement within us. Sometimes It comes in the form of disapproval. (laughs) You know, it's very interesting what's going on in this text, and and, and we're going to pick up in verse 28 here in just a minute. But remember, in light of chapter 16, David has already been anointed to be the next king of Israel. All of his brothers know it. His father knows it, right? Right? So here we are in the battle. David's already been drafted somewhat into the service of Saul. At the end of 16, he shows up on a regular basis when Saul starts to get, you know, a troubled spirit. And he plays his harp and calms him down a little bit and et cetera. So David's kind of already engaged in doing some stuff. But here comes the battle. David is anointed the next king. At least his family knows that. And what is David doing during the battle? Jesse, the father, has got him tending sheep and playing FedEx. His job is just to take the care packages to the front line and back. He's just a delivery boy, right? He's got his FedEx uniform on and showing up on a regular basis, bringing the cheese, bringing the bread, and et cetera. And, and here he is. So he's showing up on a, on a regular basis to bring supplies to his brothers. And on this particular day, he shows up. And he's delivered the stuff to the quartermaster. He said, here, these are for my brothers, and et cetera, and here's some cheese for you, and that kind of stuff. And then we pick up the story in verse 28. David gets there just as Goliath is out on the field, and he's challenging the armies again. And one of these 40 days, after 40 days, and, and David said, well, you know, what's going on here? What's going to be done for the one who, who, who actually responds and goes, out? oh, you know, the guy's telling, oh, you know, he's good. King is going to make him wealthy. He's going to give him his daughter. He's going to be the king's son-in-law and all this great stuff. And and look at verse twenty-eight. David's older brother Eliab listened as he spoke to the men. Now Eliab knew that David had been anointed to be the next king. Right? He listens as he spoke to the men, and he became angry with him. He Says, "Why did you come down here, you scrawny little runt?" He asked. Why did you? Who did you leave those sheep with in the wilderness? You're only good to be a shepherd. I know your arrogance and your evil heart. You only came down to see the battle. You know, you're not really, you know, you're not serious. You're just curious, wide-eyed little kid, just go home kind of thing. And, and David said, well, what have I done? All I've done is ask a few questions, right? You know, and I got to tell you, David is experiencing the disapproval, not only of his dad, and I don't want to push that too far because I don't want to make the text say something it doesn't really say, but he's, in particular, he's experiencing the disapproval of his older brother who would have been, quote-unquote, in charge at the, at the place of the battle because he was the oldest family member present. i got to tell you, as you guys take on this journey of transformation, as I take on this journey of transformation, some of us are going to face dis, uh, um, disapproval. Some of you are going to have somebody in your home who's just not supportive of it. Some of you may even be both both. Church members, you may say, you know what, you know, we're we're both active in church, whatever. But you may not agree on what we should be given financially, or what we should be doing with our money, or how should we be using our home to glorify the Lord, or you know, what we should be doing with our time commitments. You, 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 may, not, you may be experiencing some disapproval. approval. Some of you have family members who aren't believers. Some of you are older and you have adult children and they start looking at stuff and they're, and they're skeptical about the church and they don't know what you're really doing. And, and you start experiencing this. That, that stuff's going <laughs> to come. It's going to come. It's going to be that sense of discouragement. You know, th- this is something that Jesus experienced. You know, I mean, th- do you realize that in Mark chapter 3, Just as Jesus was kind of breaking onto the ministry field, he had just called all 12 of the disciples. His family shows up, including his mother, to take him home because they thought he had lost his mind. That's in Mark chapter 3. And then later, not a single one of his siblings, his half-brothers and sisters, not a single one of them believed in him until after the resurrection. Not a single one. Sometimes we're going to face that kind of stuff. It was interesting. Is it was I heard Rick Warren say one time that you know he wrote the book The Purpose Driven Life, and and it actually I think it's one of the best selling books in the history of the United States. Right when he first sent his manuscript off to the editor, the editor said, "People will never write a, read a forty chapter book. You're nuts." And he sent it back to him. I'd call that disapproval, wouldn't you? Your editor said. This stinks. Toss it in the trash. Start over again. We're going to face that kind of stuff. you got to recognize. When you are hearing the words, you can't or you shouldn't, you're experiencing disapproval. When somebody is saying, say, you can't do that. You know, you're, you're just never going to make those physical changes. You're never going to do this. You're never going to do that. So, you're experiencing or people saying you shouldn't when you know it's directly from the Lord, when you're hearing that that word that you shouldn't, you're going to experience that. Last thing I want you to see, the fourth deterrent is doubt, is doubt. There are moments that we're going to ask ourselves, can this really happen? Is this really going to happen? You know, it's interesting that David's out in the front. He's asking all these questions, and he's kind of implying, you know, who, who is Goliath to challenge the armies of God? That kind of stuff, and so he's brought into Saul's attention, right? And so Saul kind of gets into the picture, and we see in verse thirty-three it says that um, you know David has said, David has said to, to Saul, "Don't worry about this. I'm going to don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine." Right? David is ready to step up to the plate. He's ready to take on the challenge of change in the eyes of God. You know that kind of be transformed by the renewing of his thinking. And this is what the king says to him. You can't fight this, Philistine. Are you crazy? You're just a kid. You don't have the ability. You don't have the size. You don't have the training. You don't have the resources. You don't have the standing. You've got nothing to do this with. And him, he's been a warrior since he was young. He's bigger than you. He's stronger than you. He's better trained than you. He, you know, he's got more resources than you. You can't win this. I think I'd call that doubt, wouldn't you? You know, here's David standing in front of the king, and the king's saying, you know, you can't do this, and we're going to struggle with doubt. And some of us are going to struggle with that. I I told the first service, you know, one of the things that struck me as I went through this journey, and we think about stuff, and we're approaching our annual meeting tonight. You know, one of the questions I have for myself as the pastor of this church, as the leader, I mean, Hope Chapel right now is a healthy place. A lot of good stuff happening, people getting ministered to and blessed, that kind of stuff. But we have stopped growing. We are plateaued. And one of the questions that resides in my heart is, am I the leader that can turn this church around to grow? We live in a a pool of people who need to know the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And if we're not reaching people with the gospel, we're not exercising the power of God. And I wonder if I can change and grow in place to be the pastor that this church needs in order to be able to reach out and make a difference with the gospel in this region, or are we just going to care to the flock that's inside the pen and forget about the one that's lost? And And I struggle with that, and doubt enters in. And that's not an that's a deterrent to change, right? I don't, you know what? I'll just, let me just pick up my bag of tricks, and I'll go somewhere else and use those all over again, and let somebody else come in here who can do something with it, so I don't look like, you know, and that struggle kind of go, listen, it's no different than what you're facing at work, with promotions, with school, right on down the list. We are confronted with this stuff, and and, and, and we're confronted with our past experiences where we've drawn lines in the sand and I'm really going to be different, like God changed me, and then a year, two years, five years, ten years later, I'm just not really any different. I still haven't forgiven that person that I really need to forgive. I haven't been healed from this wound. I haven't changed this habit. I haven't developed this skill. I haven't depl- and we just say, you know, I, ca- I can't do it. we just... Shh. And some of us, we look inside and we say, you know what, I don't even know if I really want this. I don't even know if I really want this. and and, and doubt enters in because if it's not the intent of our heart, how can God really bless it? And those are some of the deterrents, the change that we face in our lives. And you could probably go on with the list, but my purpose today is not to discourage you, it's to encourage you. So let me let you in on the secret. David, who's experienced delay, who's in the midst of the people who are overwhelmed with fear and discouragement, <laughs> right, who is experiencing the disapproval of his, of his, of his brothers and his father and who is also experiencing the doubt of his military leader that he can even get this job done, guess what? He wins the battle. Well, how do you do that? Let me give you just a few things to think about. And Our, our time is running short. I'm going to move quick. Just think, the first thing to do is focus on what God can do now by remembering what God has done in the past. Focus on what God can do now so that your expectations, your, your, your belief, your, your, you know, all that stuff is lifted up because you are remembering what God has done in the past. What does David say? And you can pick this up in verses 34 through 37. You know, Saul says, well, you know what? We've got nobody else who's willing to fight. We can't stay here forever. And so he says, you know what? At least use my armor. Right, you know, and, and 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 that kind of stuff. But David, and part of his response to him is his whole question: "You can't do this, this kind of stuff." David says to him, "You know, listen, I I don't know about any of that, but I just know that when I was out guarding my sheep, and the lion would come after my sheep, I was able to drive it away. I don't know about any of this, but I just know that when the bear came out and tried to attack my flock, God delivered me from his hand. What's he doing?" He's remembering what God's done, right? And and just think about—I I, got to tell you—when we were getting ready to to build this facility, and one of the things, I mean, for those of you who weren't around, we we, we were a congregation about 150 people, about a two hundred thousand dollar budget, maybe, and we were getting ready to take on a two and a half million dollar building project. If you do the math, that's well—that's that's more than ten times what our budget was. Imagine if. You had a $100,000 household income, and you were trying to build, buy a $1.1 million house on that. I mean, it's just overwhelming. And, and my father-in-law, great man of faith, et cetera, he came to me, you know, part of what he said, are, are you guys sure, right? Because the numbers don't make any sense. And you know what encouraged me in those moments? Not only do I feel like God had spoken to us, but I remembered back to my journey when we were down on the South Shore and we were building Fellowship Baptists the church I first planted. You know, and, and we were a congregation with like a $60,000 budget and it was a half-million-dollar project and the way God just delivered. We had three mortgages when we moved into the building. You know, and two of them had no interest. You know, just the ways that God had shown up and manifested himself. And I was remembering those things. and it cre- Focus on the way God's had worked in your The w- way he walked you through difficult situations, circumstances, experiences. Secondly, Use what God's given you. Use what God has already given you. Sometimes, well, I don't have this. I don't have that, et cetera, And we just want to look at the glasses being half empty. You know, this is when Saul was saying to David, you know what? At least wear my altar. You know, put on my shield. You know, put on my breastplate. Put on my shin guards. Take my arrow. Take my sword. And, and David's like, these are way too big for me. He said, listen, I know what God has used. I know what I'm good at. He takes his staff, he goes down to the brook, and he gets five small, smooth stones. The reason that's important is because, because if they're ragged edge, when you whip them, they're going to curve, right? If you want them to go where you, you're aiming, you need them to be smooth. David finds a five so, Do you know? We look at that and sometimes we think about a kid with a rubber band, right? You know, he's got a piece of paper folded and he's trying to shoot it across the room at another kid in his class or something. That's not, we're talking about a slingshot here that is a weapon. These guys, they could get those leather slings going and they said they could sometimes get them moving where they would get them circling seven, six to seven times per second. And when they let them loose, that rock was flying at the better part of 100 miles an hour. David knew how to use that. He took what God had already given him. He took the skill that he already had, the experience that he already had, he, what he knew he could do, and he planted a rock right in the middle of Goliath's forehead. And it said, and, it, and, and, and so now you get a fresh understanding that you got this rock that hits Goliath right in the middle of the forehead at a better part of hundred miles an hour, and now you understand why it sunk into his forehead, as the Scripture tells us. But just use what you got. We're about what we don't have. You know, for, first of all, you have the ability to pray. Just pray, <laughs> you know. You, you, you've got insights, abilities, relationships, opportunities, other kinds of resources. Use You've got the Word of God. You've got Christian friends. Use what God's already given you and move forward with it. Use what God has already given you. That's what David did. David didn't try to be something he wasn't. He simply did what God had called him to do. I want to give you a third. Be sensitive to what you're listening to. Be sensitive to who you're listening to. There are going to be those people in your journey who are the doubters, the disapprovers, the discouragers. You've got to make sure that you're also listening to the encouragers, that you're listening to the people who are saying, you can do this. You know, again, this is an experience that Jesus had. You know, I'm going to bring up a passage here from Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is teaching the disciples. He's saying, you know what, we're coming to the end i just got a short little period left here. He said, you know what? And Jen, if we can bring up that passage of Scripture. It's, you know." He said, from then on, Jesus was teaching them. He said, you know what? i got to go up to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes. I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to raise the third day. Right? So this is what he's telling the disciples. Look at the next slide. But Peter took him aside and said, no, Lord. Uh, not going to happen this way, right? Peter is a discourager at this point, right? He says, no, 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 Lord, it can't happen that way. This is never going to happen to you. You're the Messiah. You're going to be victorious. You're going to win. And what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. You are, not, you are an offense to me because you are not thinking about God's concerns, but you're thinking about man's. i got to tell you, if it happened to Jesus, it's going to happen to you. You're going to start hearing voices that are going to say, you can't, you shouldn't, you can't, you shouldn't. And you need to make sure you're also listening to the voice of God who's saying, yes. Yes, yes. You know, back before we, we Christina and I made a, a decision to kind of be at the, the core of the nucleus that started Hope Chapel. You know, we were checking around town, visiting with some people who had been here a long time, just trying to get a feel for what, what they thought. You know, just kind of what, maybe God was kind of tilling us all and getting ready. And, and I remember one time we had this, this connection with some folks who, I mean, they're core in town, some leadership roles, that kind of stuff. People we knew. And we said, well, what do you think? Do you, do you think, you know, Another church can take place in in, in Sterling. And and their response to us was, Sterling really is a two-church town. You're St. Richard's and First Church. It's always going to be like that. That's what they said. You know, could have listened to that voice. Probably made a lot of sense, (laughs) right? Especially since the church that we kind of took over from, that that died so that we could begin. They've been here for 30 years and never run more than 20 people. A lot of evidence to say, forget it. It's not going to happen, right? you got to be sensitive to who you're listening to. One last encouragement. The way you and I defeat these deterrents to change, to real change, growth, transformation in our lives is that you and I just need to expect God to be faithful. We need to expect God to show up and be faithful. If you're looking at this passage, look at 40, verses 45 and 46. David is finally out on the battlefield The Philistine is kind of trash-talking with David. He says, come on over here. I'm going to beat the stew out of you and that kind of stuff. And and what does David say? He says, you come against me with a dagger and a spear and a sword. He says, I got none of that, right? I don't even have any armor. He says, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel's armies, and you've defied God. Today the Lord will hand you over to me. David expected God to show up and to be faithful. Today I'm going to strike you down cut off your head and give the corpses of the Philistine camps and the birds of the sky and the creatures of the earth and all the world will know that Israel has a God. David expected God to show up and be faithful. The challenge for us is also to believe that God is going to show up and be faithful. I love Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 where it's talking about some of the great heroes of the faith and, and, and the statement is made says, now without faith It's impossible to please God. If you are not exercising faith, if you are not expecting God to be faithful, then the transformation that's required for you to be able to live the life that God has for you just isn't going to happen. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And faith means that we expect God to show up and be faithful. Let me, let me boil it down to this. You know, again, this is designed to be an encouragement that, that the things that we might hope for, that we might dare to believe that God can actually do those things, that God can actually do, that God can give us this profound sense of peace, strength, purpose, hope, joy, love. We have the sense of usefulness that's just, uh, you can just kind of keep running the gamut. I got to tell you, What happens now in your life and in my life will clearly testify to what we believe about God. Because God is prepared and ready to do these things. And whether or not this transformation happens in us is not a reflection on God. It's simply a reflection on what we believe about God. And God wants to show up and do glorious things. Let's pray together for just a minute. Hmm. What are you ready to ask God to do in you? What are you ready to ask God to do through you? Do you really believe that God can do it? Lord, we know that you're speaking. Give us ears to hear what you're saying to your church. As if we pray in the name of the one who is Lord over the church, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.